Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Educational Podcasting Today, the podcast dedicated to you, the educator, to help you learn how to make a great podcast, a fantastic website. Today, we're going to be learning all about social media. We have an author, a blogger, a speaker, a all-around great guy, and a father of two, Today, we're going to be talking to Mike Alton about all things social media and how you can keep your students safe in the classroom when dealing with things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, all coming up here on the Educational Podcasting Today podcast. Of course, we want to say thank you guys for joining us today. We are one month into our relaunch. Lots of things going great. We, of course, want to welcome you guys to our Facebook group. Those of you who go over to educationalpodcasting.tips, we have weekly questions. We have a great conversation over there. It's been about a month. Have about 150 people signed up for that educationalpodcasting.tips. Learn how you can create your own website and podcast today from our community of educators. My guest today is an expert in social media. He's going to be talking all about what we can do to keep our schools and our students safe. Want to bring on from St. Louis, Mike Alton. Mike, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here today. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm I'm Mike. I blog at thesocialmediahat.com, where it's really just a passion project for me. I write about whatever I'm interested in, whatever I think my audience is going to be interested in, mostly social media. We get into email and blogging and different networks and so on, lots of tools and tips. But uh, that's just my side project. My day job, full-time job, is brand evangelist for Agora Pulse, uh, which is a social media management tool. Now, what is social media management? I mean, again, our, our audience here is mostly educators, but a lot of us are getting into how do I manage my social media? How do I automate things but not sound automated? Is there a secret to managing your social media? <laughs> well, there's no secret. It's a combination of thinking about what you want to do in advance and having a tool that can help you. So, for instance, one of the one of the ways that people use any kind of social media management tool is when they want to schedule activity. So you don't sound automated when you say the exact same thing in a scheduled post that you would say when you posted it live. But the beauty of using a tool, particularly for a teacher or any other business owner who's busy during the day, you probably can't be tweeting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 10 o'clock in the morning. You're supposed to be teaching at that point. So set that up at 5 o'clock in the morning when you're just getting up and, and you've got some time to yourself, you can schedule that activity to go out at those times. And then you can use the tool later on to listen, to pay attention to uh, mentions, direct messages, retweets, all that kind of stuff. I, I, I think this is important. And I know there's many teachers out there that kind of get looked at like, you're teaching, but you're tweeting every five minutes. How are you doing both? And how are you not getting in trouble? I know for myself, uh, my website, teachercast.net, is set up in a way that it pushes content out to our various uh, social media uh, partners. And of course, you know, we have a plug-in for that. That's why I'm a big fan of WordPress. And if you go over to educationalpodcasting.today, we, we have everything on there of how we're doing stuff. And, you know, when we're looking at this, I, I want to start off the, the conversation today by asking you, what is the state of social media? It's 2018. We're going to get into the recent news. But what would you say is the state of social media in 2018? Well, I find it really fascinating because I actually went to school 
for history. Uh, that was that was my focus of studying degree in college. And so I'm obviously not doing anything with history, but I still have that historical mindset looking at, at what has happened, why is it happening, what's the trend. So I've kind of dubbed myself a historian for social media. And what I'm seeing today is a really interesting pushback from users and even from savvy businesses that they want to use social media with more transparency and more authenticity, which basically just means going back to being social on social media, trying to remove some of the repetitive automation. Uh, not that automation in itself is bad, but it can't be mindless automaton driven type automation. It's got to be like we were talking about a moment ago, you know, scheduling something that you would say anyways, just making sure it goes out at a more meaningful time, making sure that you're having real conversations, using video and audio to really bring a personal touch to your message, and then listening for what your audience has to say in response and having actual conversations. Well, I, I, I noticed that you bring up this term. So I noticed that you bring up this term social a lot, and that, that's always the first part that I say when working with teachers. Social media is social interaction. I know in 2018 the term has kind of changed to insulting media. What can I do to bring you down? What can I do to put the pie in your face, as you will? And, and I'm worried about that because a lot of our students are seeing things, you know, from let's just say from random people on Twitter that that that's giving this a bad vibe, right? And it's also making the the public go, "Oh, you're on social media, you're a teacher. This is what I think of social media. This is now what I think of teachers." Where are where are you with all this? I mean, you obviously deal with with new social media people, you deal with brands, you deal with companies, and I'm not asking Mike, the social media guru. I'm asking Mike, the father of two. One of the interesting things that I've seen over the years, this isn't recent, is that social networks are what you make out of them. Facebook does not tell you who to be friends with. Facebook does not force you to be friends with anybody. Facebook does not force you to like certain pages. Twitter does not force you to connect with other people. And it's the same on every other social network, which means it's up to me to decide who I'm going to connect with and whose content I'm going to see in my feed. Now, ads, I, obviously, is a little separate thing. I can't control what ads come into my space to an extent. We could probably talk about that if you wanted to. But I control who my friends are. And, and if I want to be even more fine-grained of my friends on Facebook, I can choose who I want to see first, who I want to get notified for, and if I want to unfollow somebody, or even Facebook now has, you can take a break for 30 days from somebody in case they're really fired up about a particular issue, and you just kind of want to let them cool off for a little bit and then come back in a month and see if they're still fired up about that same issue that maybe you don't care about. So I'm in complete control, and, and it's funny because I've been talking about this literally for years. It was one of the things that Google Plus I thought was amazing at, and yeah, everybody listening is like, Google what? Yeah, it's Google Plus is <laughs> a social network. I know not a lot of people use it right now. I had a quarter million followers on Google Plus a few years ago. And for at that time, it was huge. Unfortunately, it wasn't working for Google, so they made some changes. But on Google Plus, you could put people in circles, and then you could ramp up or down the volume of those circles and really have a fine-tuned control, fine-grained control, I really should say, over what your feed looked like. And it was a beautiful thing for people like me who took that time because then I was only following 
colleagues, influencers, thought leaders in my space. And when I logged into Google Plus, it was amazing. It was so thought-provoking and educational and helpful. There was none of that trite behavior, none of that argumentative, in-your-face kind of fake stuff that's going on today. So the bottom line is if you're just getting into social media or you're paying attention to what your children are doing, be very careful with who they're connecting with, who they're following. Don't use bots or tools or anything that might automate who you're going to follow and unfollow, that kind of stuff. Don't do any of that because that totally takes the control out of it and it's going to mess up your account and make it worthless for you. I also know that over the last couple of years, because these companies are changing their algorithms, as you said, you know, the people who I follow is on top. So no longer it's, you know, I follow 13,000 people, I turn on Twitter and I get whatever the latest things are. It's now Twitter's putting your people in front of you. And because of that, uh, I'll speak from experience. Four or five years ago, I would say 85% of my traffic was coming from social media. Right. You, you, you set up your auto tweets. You make sure everything happens. You look at your stats at the end of the day and you realize most people are hitting me because of tweets or Facebook posts or some kind of social interaction. Suddenly, Facebook, Twitter and other like uh, entities change their algorithm to be only posts of people that you like or follow or have interactions with or whatever they changed it to. And suddenly you saw 85 percent of my social media traffic is now like. 30%. And that completely made me change the way I created posts, created podcasts, name things. I had to focus more, more on learning about Google, learning about search engine. And I actually had to work things around where before I did my relaunch, 85% of my traffic was coming from Google searches because I was creating it for search engines, not creating it to be found in a stream of Twitter where it's that, you know, that one second, am I going to click or not? I've completely had to change around the way that I do everything on TeacherCast. And I think it helps, right? Because I don't know, my philosophy is we only have one audience member, which is Google, right? We, we still, <laughs> we're still creating content for humans. I, I get that. People yeah. argue with me all the time. But <laughs> if Google can't find you, you don't exist. Right. And... I mean, do you see that kind of an idea there? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's the yeah what you're hitting on is 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 the the fickleness and and the um, just the total lack of substance that that social media has. You could have an article that you've published and you share to social media and people love it and they're sharing it all over the place and you're going to get a nice spike of, of traffic. But it is a spike, which means it'll go up and then it's going to go straight back down again and it's not going to last long unless it's then replaced later by search engine traffic. So I, I'm like, you know, I don't want to write for search engines. I want to write for people. But from a business perspective, I cannot rely on social networks to drive traffic to my website. That's not what they're for. They don't want to do that. They don't want their users to leave their site. And more often than not, the users don't want to leave the site. Most people, if they're going on Facebook, it's to see pictures, to catch up on things with their friends and their colleagues and so on. They're not there specifically to leave the platform and go read something else. It's not to say that they won't, but it's got to be awfully compelling for them to do that. So we don't want to rely on that as a source of traffic. Well, we have a, a cornucopia of content that's out there. And the question that I have here, speaking as, as you know, general population here, what social media platforms 
should we be on? I mean, I've I've gone through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Periscope, Snapchat, Flipgrid. What? Where should we be going? <laughs> I mean, there's so much stuff out there. Everything's been a fad. Um, now we even have so you know podcasting social media sites like Anchor and like Flipgrid and all these. You know what? What do we need? What don't we need? Let's just kind of open that basket. Okay, uh, and, it, and it's a big basket. So I've got some initial tips, and then there's three steps that everybody's got to go through. So tip number one is that we're going to focus on a very limited number of social networks, and I'm going to tell you how to figure out which ones those are in just a minute. But understand that you want to have a presence, you want to have a profile if you're a business speaking, right? You want to have that profile, your name reserved and your in your brand name there um, on virtually every social network uh, that that's that regular people are using, that mainstream people are using, recognizing that there are thousands of social networks and we can't be on literally all of them. But so you want to have that presence and you're going to focus on one and build up an audience there. And when you feel like you've really got that under control, th only then are you going to move on to another one. So we're not trying to overwhelm and tell you that you have to be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Periscope and YouTube and Google Plus and LinkedIn. No, that's not the case. So that said, you also want to make sure that when new social networks come out and start to get mainstream media attention, don't be attracted by the shiny object, right? It is, like you said, very likely a fad. They come and go all the time. Most of you don't even see them. But, you know, as somebody like me who's paying attention to what influencers in the space say, what, what TechCrunch and others are talking about, uh, there's new social networks every week every single week. Some of them are really niche. Some of them are just really small. Uh, some of them are trying to replace an existing network, which is never a good idea. That never works. So stop trying to do that. But if it looks like a lot of people are talking about it, go grab your name and then that's it. You've got your name, you've got your profile, so that's reserved. And you can just wait and see what happens with that particular network. You don't, as a business, need to be what we call a first adopter. You don't need to do that. So with that in mind, what you want to ask yourself now are three basic questions. And I can't answer this for anyone uh, unless we're having a personal conversation back and forth about what their business is like. Because the first question is, who's your target audience and which networks seem to support that target audience the most? Now, your target audience may be defined by geography, uh, demographic characteristics, um, you know, age and whatnot, or it could be just interests. It could be any of those things. And so that's, you know, obviously a very individualized question. I'm personally right now, I'm only targeting social media influencers. So they're everywhere. <laughs> they're on every social network, but that's me. Uh, most businesses aren't like that, right? So most businesses, um, you might have a business that's B2B and uh, they're selling medical equipment to high-end physicians. So where do high-end physicians uh, tend to, you know, be accessible? Probably LinkedIn, very professional network. That might be an option there. If you're targeting millennials or younger than that, even, then you're probably going to want to look at Snapchat and Instagram where the demographic there is at a much lower bar than say Facebook or YouTube. But that's just going to vary. So that's your first question. Who's your target audience and which social networks are they tending to be on the most? The second question is a really interesting one. The second question is, 
what kind of content are you comfortable creating? There's three different kinds. There's text, there's images, and there's video. And of course, there's audio as well. So you can write or you can create graphics uh, or you can do live video uh, or, or, or create video offsite and, and then upload it. But every network is a little bit different in how it treats that. So if you don't like to write, but you like to create imagery, then maybe Instagram is a really great option for you. If you hate to write and you're not really good at creating images, but you don't mind being on camera and talking, and maybe you even like the idea of interviewing other people, well, then Facebook Lives or YouTube Lives would be a really good fit for you. And then you just got to figure out, okay, how do I make that work for the business? But now you've got a way to kind of narrow down of all the social networks, which ones might be best for me, for my business, for my audience. But the last question it's almost like the tiebreaker, okay? So you've gone through all this and you figure out where your audience is and, and the kind of contents you want to create. And then you just ask yourself, okay, which social networks have I used personally? And of those, did I hate them or did I love them? Or what was my experience there? Because, and I always ask this, because if a business owner has used, say, Facebook and hates it, and I've talked to many that they just, they hate it. They absolutely hate it. And it doesn't, and it might not even be rational why they hate it, but the emotions there and I'm not going to fight with it. So my response is then, okay, we're not going to use Facebook. There's plenty of other social networks well, and you can go to the smallest social network and it's still hundreds of millions of people. So your audience is going to be there. So use that as the tiebreaker. I mean, I, I've, I've often heard you're creating a blog or you're creating products for your consumer. So yep. if you don't like Facebook, but that's where your consumers are, shouldn't you be on Facebook? Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you absolutely hate it, you're going to suck at it. <laughs> you're just going to be bad. You're not going to enjoy your time there. It's going to be painful for you. So it's probable that you would be able to use Twitter without that emotional baggage and be more successful. Well, the question then comes, what do you announce? And, and I'm, I'm going to say, you know, everybody here on the show knows that on Wednesday nights I, I do a live podcast. I've got a bunch of co-hosts. And, and even though you can't see this when you're riding in your car, at the end of the show, I always say teachercast.net slash iTunes slash Facebook slash YouTube, right? And they're laughing at me because I go down the list. <laughs> now, as a podcaster, I want to say go to iTunes, go to YouTube. But not everybody wants to do that. So I say go to Twitter because I'm trying to grow that. What is your advice for, dude, just pick one? Or is the advice, maybe at the top of the blog, you mentioned iTunes, and the bottom of the podcast, you mentioned Facebook. And the like, how, how do you try to grow the audience when you, you kind of do want to make sure that you get the audio link out? And, the, you know, and an, oh, by the way, leave me a review over here. Like, what are those different ways? And, and we can talk podcasting, but also in a blog, right? Like, you right. want somebody to... And this is the question, really, for, for blogs. Do yeah. I subscribe to your RSS feed or do I subscribe to your newsletter? Yeah, yeah. What the crux of what you're asking is, what's my call to action? Exactly. Because you've and got so many people. You can't give me five calls to action. Right. What you've done there is you've created a paradox of choice. And the paradox of choice says, if you give me too many choices to consider at the same time, I won't make any choice at all. 
So if you tell me to follow you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and Pinterest and Google Plus, all right, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not going to do any of those things. So you really got to focus. Now, the cool thing about content creators is that each time we create a new piece of content, we can have a different call to action. So if you really need to do a bunch of different things somewhat simultaneously, we need to grow our iTunes subscribers and downloads. We need to grow our Twitter following and we need to grow our Facebook page fans. And we want to do all three of those things somewhat simultaneously. You can still do that without having to name all three of those things in every single podcast. You can, you know, today's podcast, we're going to focus on iTunes and we're going to drop that a couple of times throughout the recording and make sure that everybody listening knows, make sure you've subscribed and, and, and let us know how we're doing, you know, drop us a review, give us, you know, one star, five star, whatever you think, let us know next week, send them to Twitter. And the cool thing about content is as creators, it's, it's tough for us to come and get out of this perspective because we're in the moment. Like right now, we're talking right now. And I tell people to go to Facebook and that's what's top of mind to me. But the fact is other people will read or listen or, or watch the content well after we've created it. So that call to action will live on for as long as that content's out there. So even though this particular episode is focused on iTunes subscribers and the next episode is focused on Twitter, that doesn't mean there's like a weak lag between what's what we're asking people to do because listeners will be coming in every single day. And particularly on a podcast, people might listen to several episodes at once. And they'll hear those different calls to action, but they'll hear them at different times and they'll be able to act on them each individual time. We are talking to Mike Alton today. You can find him on Twitter at twitter.com slash Mike underscore Alton. And uh, Mike, I got to tell you, the way that I found you was I was trolling um, random websites and social media feeds. And, and I, 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 I'm one of those guys that if you look at my Gmail, it's all done through filters. And yeah. I probably have about, I'm not kidding, about 85 to 100 filters of newsletters. And because I am in the process, I'm still in the process of redesigning things and getting all these content filters out. I was looking for influencers that had great newsletters, that had a big, strong message, and I'm trying to emulate them. Now, one of the things that I found fascinating about your content is it's very focused. And you've recently come out with a way to help teachers or anybody, but I'm going I'm to just speak to teachers right now, create better blogs. Talk to us a little bit about one of the things that you've been working on and something that you've recently released to help teachers learn how to create and craft a better blog. Yeah, and it's interesting because I I should stop saying it's interesting. It's interesting to me. <laughs> um I've been blogging for years now and the blog is called the social media hat because that's what I talk about social media most, but writing about blogging is what I care about the most. And it's, it's an issue that I see a lot of people face. They know they need to blog. They don't know where to start. And so they don't start. And so there's a couple things that, that I've put out, uh, both of which could be very helpful um, to someone listening who wants to create more content, wants to create better content, but isn't sure where to begin. The first is an ebook, how to start a blog. And that just walks you step by step uh, through, you know, getting the website started and then how to organize your blog, how to come up with ideas, how to turn those ideas into actual pieces of content, uh, and then what to do with them once you've done that. 
And then the second thing is a planner that you can use to actually map out over the course of the next year, what are my goals? What am I going to write about? You can start to think about things like holidays, um, you know, or, or other kinds of events throughout the year because it's depending on your business, there's probably something that happens every single year that you can tie into your business, whether it's a holiday or a sporting event or a season, something that you can relate to your blog content and your topics. And so you can schedule all that out and have that planned out. And you can use the blog planner to do things like come up with uh, lists of influencers that you might want to connect with and follow up with, lists of events, events that you might uh, attend, lists of publications that you might want to guest post on. So yeah, those are the two tools, the ebook and the planner uh, that, that I would strongly recommend anybody who wants to blog, uh, grab one or both of those, depending on what you think you need. And where can they go to find and download or uh, get access to this? Yeah, go to the social media hat. Dot com, uh, and you'll see both of those uh, right on the front page. There's a nice little uh, rot rotating uh, series of recent uh, articles right on the top. So the other th reason why I subscribe to your newsletter is because it was talking all about Facebook. And you do a lot of work with Facebook, and I, I, I don't want to have a social media podcast without talking about the obvious thing that's been going around the news, which is, of course... Tesla is no longer on Facebook, right? We're having this mass exodus of, of people on Facebook due to this, um, would you call it a minor security breach, Mike? Well, as it stands now, it is minor. If nothing else Only happens, 50 million people. If nothing else is revealed, then this isn't that big of a deal because it was... It was 50 million user profiles that eventually were, were grabbed as a part of this app and, and related issues. Uh, the app was created legally within Facebook's terms of service four years ago, right? And then the data was pulled out of the app illegally, breaking Facebook's terms of service, sold illegally to Cambridge Analytica. And this is where it gets a little crazy, right? Most of us are familiar with how advertising works today. Advertisers are able to see a lot of the things that we do. They're able to use a lot of the data that's available within the platforms to what's called retarget or remarket to us. This this idea that if you go to... Tesla and you're looking at Tesla cars and then you go back to Facebook, you'll see ads for Tesla because Tesla is able to know that you went to their site and they're able to, to remarket to you. That's normal, right? What happened in this past election cycle is not normal. It is not normal to have that data sold off of the platform, to have it merged with other data points about each one of us, to have big data crunching machines spend time looking and comparing and doing trend analysis on all that data and understanding not just our buying behavior, but what issues are our hot points. And then to take that and leverage it and put false information in front of us through back through Facebook's newsfeed to push those buttons and make us upset about issues that probably didn't even exist and try to manipulate us that way. So that's what happened and it's insidious, but it happened in the past and Facebook says they've locked stuff down there. There's investigations going on and there's going to end up being subpoenas and that sort of thing to make sure that that data is gone. And so now we're, what we're left wondering is, who else 
could have possibly had access to that data, who else might be selling data, who else might be using data in that way. And we don't know any of those things yet. We suspect, some of us suspect, that there's other people out there that have been doing this for years. And if that's the case, that's when Facebook's going to have a truly existential crisis because now these people that want to delete their Facebook profiles are going to grow from 1% of the community to 40% of the community. I wanted to bring this up because this is a very sensitive topic that's going around these days, especially when it comes to students. Now, we know as educators, we have certain... I, I don't know what the right word is. Laws, regulations, rules, but we have things like COPA, FERPA. These are these are things that are set in place for child student protection. Yep. Many teachers are under the uh, illusion that just because something says sign in with your Google account, that it's a safe website. And look, I can open up a WordPress.org oh site, make it single sign on and say, come give me all your st-, and it's not safe. <sighs> No. Now, again, I, I'm, I'm talking to you, you know, data four-year-olds to a dad of a six-year-old here. At what point do we look into getting our kids online? Do you say, I'm going to buy my domain for my child? Do you say, I'm going to wait for until 13 to, to try that stuff out? I mean, what, what you, let's, I'll, I'll. You you lead, I'll dance with you here, but but <laughs> child protection, child data in a world where, you know, they're so young, but somebody might have their data because they were one of those 50 million things. And, you know, they're marked with that for life now. Yeah. And as a social media prof- professional and a father, I expect that the conversations I have with my kids are different because my kids have been exposed to what social media is since they were born, right? They, they see me doing this and they see me on my phone and they see, oh, hey, Baba, that's you. And, and, and so they, they have some sense of the, there's these things out there that other people talk to each other, right? And they see the video and that sort of thing. So as they're getting older, they're going to learn what Facebook is. They're going to learn what Instagram is. But as a, as a parent, I'm going to hold off on, on hopefully as long as possible for them to use social networking because as kids, they honestly don't need it. I mean, I get children want to be able to talk to each other and have fun. I totally understand that. And, and obviously as they get older, that need and that desire is going to grow, but it, it's just a desire right? It's, you know, it's not professional. There's, there's no requirement that they use social networks um, other than maybe once they get into high school, obviously some teachers and that sort of thing are going to be integrating, but at that point, okay. So I don't know. Uh, It's just going to be, you know, how long can I keep that away? And then of course, once it does become inevitable, then we have to have more serious conversations and we have to help our children understand how social networks actually work, which means we as parents have to understand how do social networks actually work. First premise, you don't get anything for free. I don't know why people think that they're entitled to use Facebook for free and it's some kind of government-sponsored service. It's not. It's a business, and which means it's got to have a monetary model. And Facebook's monetary model, like every other social network, is to take your data and sell it. 
somehow. And you you hit the nail on the head. Google single sign on, Facebook sign on. When you hit those buttons, those are super convenient, and I love it. But I know what's happening when I do that. I know that I'm allowing at least some of my data, some pieces of me and who I am to be given to that particular company. So you have to be careful about that stuff. You have to be careful about how you use those kinds of sign-on. You have to be careful about the apps that you allowed to either be used through Facebook or off of Facebook and, and be very careful with um, if you can fine tune those permissions and say, no, I don't need you to be able to post on my behalf. I don't want to be able to see my friends and that sort of thing. If it makes sense. Don't do quizzes. <laughs> that should be the lesson that we should have known. I don't understand why we don't know this yet. Mari Smith, the queen of Facebook, was saying back in 2009, stop doing the dumb quizzes. They're, they're, they're a waste of time. And again, you're giving away data, stuff that you don't even understand is happening because you're not just telling them who your name is and whatever other kinds of things you've said on Facebook. A lot of these people, they're able to create a quiz that through the answers, they're learning more about you then you're getting back in response. Yeah, you you find out that your elvish name is, you know, Bahimi. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, Mike, look, I, I, I'm sure I'm speaking for everybody who's listening to this and driving in their car. I want to learn what the cast of Saved by the Bell looks like today. <laughs> right? I need to have this, and I need to make sure that all 35 of the people that I don't remember on that show are there, right? Like that That's the important stuff here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's you know, we're we're tempted by triviality, and that's the kind of temptation we absolutely have to resist. For if not for our own sanity and benefit, then again, because you should know that at the end of the day, people don't create that content for your benefit. They don't create that content for fun. They create that content to get at you and your data. So don't do those things, and then. Finally, be cautious about what you put out on social networks. What you think is private is not private. There's really no such thing as privacy when it comes to social networks. And that is the good one to talk about when you're the guy that's trying to throw his really cute triplets out there in the world, right? Yeah. Like we, we, we all do the pictures. I mean, you know, my yep. everybody knows my kids on Twitter are the edu triplets, right? Like, <laughs> I, And I've always said I'm a very private person for someone that's so public yet my ted talk was all about the kids and my wife's uterus right like all these different things are out there so but at the same time i i still feel like i'm private but i know deep down nah like none of us are like everybody got to, and i'll give you an example last night um I was I just happened to get a email that says one of my youtube subscribes um what was live so i Sitting there on the email, I clicked on it. I'm watching this person's show, and the person had a guest on. And next thing I know, I went to watch another YouTube video, and the commercial in front of that YouTube video was the guest of that other show. Because I guess somehow YouTube was looking at the video I spent 25 minutes watching, saw the two names, and said, oh, he's going to go watch this concert video. Yeah, I'm going to put that. You know, I'm going to put that as a commercial first. Yeah. Oh, my. And, and even today when I was not at work, uh, I mean, I worked, but I, sometime today that commercial came on to YouTube, literally four different videos. 
So now I'm stuck watching this just because I happen to click on a video. And, you know, our kids are doing this, too. And I get it. Don't don't give your kid an, a Google. Don't give your kid an account till they're 13. Don't do email till they'll, you know, we have all these rules with them. I, I want to ask you if I want to leave a social media network. Like I know we had joked about, you know, Tesla and stuff like that. Yeah. But most people just say, I'll never go back to it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just stop using Instagram. That's not the most recommended thing either, is it? No, because it really depends on what your concerns are, right? Let, let's say you're concerned about this whole Cambridge Analytica thing, right? And you don't want your data getting out there. So you think deleting your Facebook profile is going to be the answer. Let me remind you, the data was stolen in 2014. It's now 2018. So deleting your profile in 2018 won't protect it from having been stolen in 2014. We don't know who has had access to our data prior to now. And if that's what's concerning you, deleting your profile is not going to fix it. It's just going to stop it from happening again in the future. But is leaving the account running? I mean, there. if you go into your Google account or even your Microsoft account, you can actually find the menu that says which third-party applications you have granted access. And a couple times a year, I go in there and I go, oh, yeah, there was that plugin or there was that thing or, oh, my goodness. And, you know it's in your best interest to disconnect some of these things that you no longer use. Absolutely. On Facebook, you go to settings and then on the left-hand side, you'll see apps. And in fact, one of the things that Zuckerberg is going to do very soon is he's going to put a little bar at the top of your newsfeed on Facebook to remind you, Hey, you should go to your apps and make sure that they're all legitimate. And what we're talking about here for those who aren't really clear is anytime you've done that, that, that sign in button with Facebook, anytime you've allowed an app to use your Facebook account, anytime you've played a game on Facebook or anything of those kinds, you're going to want to see those and make sure, yeah, this is legitimate. I'm still using this. This one I haven't used. This one I don't even know what it is. And clean that out and be very careful about it. So that's that's step one. I don't advise deleting your Facebook profile. I mean, that's, that's is that unless you're not using Facebook for legitimate reasons, that's not going to help you. But then be careful about what else you do on Facebook. Those if are the you, two things. If you, de- I'm going to go nerd for one second here, so let's not go down this rabbit hole. But if you delete your Facebook profile, does that take a dive on your SEO or your Google rankings or anything on there? Because you're no longer in that social media. No, only in the sense that for certain keyword phrases, mostly your brand name, your Facebook page may have been holding a listing, a ranking spot, right? So now you'd be giving that up, but it's not going to impact your content and how it was ranking because there's no social sh- there's no signal sent from Facebook that Google will consider because it's too easy to game that system. Talking again today to Mike Alton. Um, lots of great stuff. Mike, when we go over to your blog, I notice it's mostly based around blogging. And speaking as a podcaster, blogging, podcasting, I always say the reason I go to podcasts is because I don't like to write. And before we did our show, I shared with you our show notes that over the last six months or so, I've completely overhauled not only to make it easy, but also to make the, the show notes Google friendly. Because as we know, Google doesn't listen to things, kind of, yeah. and it doesn't watch things, kind of. So when a podcaster just simply throws an audio thing up on their blog and says, publish, 
Google still can't find you, right? Right. So, so that's why I want to talk, turn the conversation here to things like show notes slash blog. Do you have any recommendation for podcasters out there <clears throat> me, when it comes to <laughs> show notes? Because, I mean, you're looking at the show notes that we have here. I'm, I, I'm not keyword stuffing, but I'm making yeah. sure that every little topic is hit. So, goodness gracious, somebody here happens to type in your name or happens to type in at Mike underscore Alton or happens to type in Mike Alton social media. I'm going to do everything I can to at least be number two on that list. Right. And as a, as a podcaster, the bare minimum to me is that you get a transcript of the recording That's bare minimum. And, and that's expensive, that. Mike. Oh yeah. Fiverr's really expensive <laughs> when you're doing 15 shows a week. Yeah. And they're hour plus long shows. That's why I went to longer show notes because I can't pay for transcripts. And who, yeah, yeah, in your case, but I mean, is that normal for podcasters to do that much? Oh goodness, don't. And and remember, I'm I'm gonna just you know sidebar. Yeah. The audience here is teachers. Like we're we're, we're not yeah. big and let's spend money. Like we're 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 free and fabulous here. But I get <laughs> what you're saying. But but anyway, yeah. but keep going because I I wanna I, I wanna um battle you on this one <laughs> well here's the thing i mean if you want to rank well in google it's either going to take time or money it's up to you if you don't want to pay for a transcription then you're going to have to either create it yourself or create enough show note content which basically just describes what you're about to listen to and and hits the main topics you're going to have to do some writing and some time you, you said it yourself. Google doesn't really listen and doesn't really watch. It needs that text. And, and frankly, a portion of your audience needs it too. If I come to your site, me personally, and my only option is to listen or to watch, I'm going to hit the back button. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't watch videos if I have a choice. I would rather read. When I'm on ESPN and the story is only in video mode, I get pissed and hit the back button because I don't want to watch it usually it's a very practical reason. Usually it's because I'm not in a position to listen to audio because that would be disruptive. I want to just quietly read something because my girls are asleep or whatever the case might be. So I think personally having that transcription is the best option. Yeah. If the volume is there and you know, it is going to get expensive. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's some workarounds for you. But, but that's, that's what I would do. That's what I have done. Uh, anytime I do uh, a live video broadcast, which is a few times a year, uh, I'll have a lot of video Kawasaki, and, and we'll do an interview. And then I want to make sure I get that entire thing written out and I go through it. And then I pull out the salient details, uh, do an outline at the top and everything. Because I want that text. I want that SEO. What solutions do you have for this I, i'm i'm always gonna cry and say it's just too bloody expensive for yeah. this stuff i've had some people say oh well then transcribe the first 10 minutes of your show and i'm going i i, I who re i know the your answer is going to be google right because my response yeah. is who reads 45 minutes of and i gotta be honest i don't know if you're on this on the docker right? but everything that you're saying i'm taking shorthand yeah. What I'm not doing is after I edit it, putting the timestamps in. I just don't oh, have yeah. time for that, right? Like, oh yeah, no, you, yeah, that's that's silly. You don't need timestamps. What I would do is test it, and this because this is what I do for myself. Any idea, any problem I have, I test it. Okay, so take a couple shows, 
do full transcripts, take a couple of the shows. I mean, I don't, I mean, you, 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 you probably have plenty of existing episodes where you've done these different things. So you could just look at your data, but you know, for those of you listening who haven't done this, have a, have a couple shows where you've got full transcripts, have a couple shows where you've got summaries, have a couple shows where you ain't got anything, but the recording, see how those fly, see what traffic goes to which see which ones your audience tend to prefer. And then you're going to have your answer. Now it may be a painful answer. And then, so you're going to do a gut check and decide how much is that worth it to you. I, I agree. You know, in, in the past, I've always done, you know, here's a video tutorial and there's like two paragraphs. You will learn how to do this. <laughs> and I'm looking around and, you know, we're breaking the fourth wall here a lot, but I'm looking around at other websites going, okay, they've got their video tutorial, but then their blog post is literally detailed by detailed by step by step and animated graphics and all these different things. And so the last two screencasts I've made are fully detailed fully everything and then oh by the way if you want the video i've made them like eight minutes or less so you know again i'm sitting here trying to see what's going on and and throw in some ideas here um mike your your content is awesome and i want to say thank you so much for your time here as we as we kind of push our way towards the end and we we i want to push this back towards teachers what advice do you give as far as teaching about this? I'm sure you've heard the term digital citizenship, right? Teaching yeah. our students how to email properly, comment properly, respect others. Um, you know, telling teachers not to respond to students with emojis, right? What advice do you have for educators, for students in anything that we've been discussing tonight? Yeah, and, and it's funny because um, this is an area where I actually get into quite a bit. Uh, I work with the University of Missouri in St. Louis uh, here. I do presentations for them, uh, and I even did a presentation through them to their to an exchange school, I guess, in Germany. And I'm on the board of advisors for the University of Florida uh, for their digital marketing school. So we talk around here about education and how to educate and how to use social media through education quite a bit. And one of the things that we want teachers to explain and have really frank discussions about is how social media is used professionally. The biggest thing that students can get themselves in trouble for long-term is using social media irresponsibly and allowing that to reflect poorly on themselves later in life, right? You know, I mean, the, the easy example is for older students, uh, you know, you, you post drunken pictures of yourself to Facebook, okay? And then you go in for a job interview and, well, they checked out your Facebook page and they saw what you were doing and they weren't so impressed. Obviously, younger students, you know, middle school, high school students, that's not necessarily what we're worried about. But in their cases, there's still lots of potential there for negative behavior that's going to reflect poorly on them. It may not be a big deal then. May, nobody might not even see it then, but later on, people might. Now, these days, we also have issues of things like cyberbullying and, and other kinds of hate crimes that can easily take place. And we want to, again, encourage students <sighs> you almost have to start at a higher level, right? I mean, you have to help them understand that the, the, the behavior is wrong, no matter what medium it takes place on. And then, you know, give them further reason not to do it to say, okay, well, 
you, you definitely don't want to do that someplace where your activity is basically written in stone. It's recorded. It's shared. Other people can, you know, even if you think it's private, people could take screenshots, right? And that data can be uh, retrieved, you know, through court subpoenas and all those kinds of things. So you have to be careful. You have to be aware of how that stuff can can impact you in the future. So that's that's kind of the negative stuff. So we, we, we have to cover that, right? We want to make sure that they're aware of that. But then we want to get more into the positive, just like any other kid, right? I got to do the same thing with my three-year-old. Try to focus on the positive so she's thinking that way. So, you know, with middle school and, and high school students, you know, let's talk about you know, creating relationships. Let's talk about networking. Let's talk about having really great conversations and discussions and teachable moments that can be happening outside of the classroom through social media that can be happening on a worldwide platform. You can be meeting people that are on the other side of the planet that have come from completely different cultures and backgrounds and societies and having conversations about privacy and having conversations about uh, history or whatever it is that, that you're interested in as a student. Mike, I got to say, thank you so much for your time today. Um, do you have time for one more question here? Absolutely. Yeah, we're good. There, there is a debate and, and you might've heard this debate. This is the great biography debate. And I'm asking you this because as a blogging expert, I have gotten into this conversation way too many times, and I am convinced that I am right. <laughs> when you have a website and you're putting your biography on it, first person or third person and why? Are you referring to at the bottom of your content where we call that the author bio box? I am referring well, about to, page. I'm referring to let's call it the about page, but but please hit both because they're different. Yes, you, there the, are. the author bio box should be in third person. It's about you, not necessarily from you, and it should be something that you could use, copy and paste anywhere. And I, I don't know if I literally gave it to you. I probably did. I probably copied and pasted my bio either from my website directly or from someplace else and gave it to you. And, and, and you'll do that as a content creator anywhere you go, because your content isn't always on your own site, right? My content gets syndicated to other websites. I guess blog post for the websites. Like I've got a, a article coming out soon on social media examiner. That's going to be in the third person <laughs> um, so that the reader gets it. Now, your about page is totally different. Your about page, first of all, shouldn't be the same text to begin with. Your about page as a content creator, it really as a business, anybody, your about page needs to be about your readers. It shouldn't be about you at all. Obviously, you're going to talk about yourself and work yourself in there, but it should be a story about your target audience and how you are part of that story. And this is going to, I had to say this a little vaguely because obviously every business is a little bit different in who they're talking to and why. If you're selling a service, then you're probably solving a problem. So you're speaking to people about that problem and how you've been helping to solve that and the other people specifically that you've helped to solve that problem. Whereas if you're a content creator like me, then, you know, maybe we're talking about, uh, who we've helped to, to train and, and, and uh, the businesses and the organizations that have learned through us, something like that. But you, the point is to direct it differently. Does that make sense? 
I got to tell you, Mike, that's the wrong answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm okay being wrong once or twice. Well, that was, that was, you, you, were twi- you were wrong twice both on those things. <laughs> See, no, it's, and it's interesting. Hearing you say that, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'll give you my answer. Uh, the the bottom of my blog post, I, I you know, it, I do it in third person, but it's like two or three sentences. Yeah. Jeff is a teacher. Ad. Jeff is the podcaster. Ad. You know, please. You know, small, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But on the website, I have a fuller bio in third person, and you said it because I want you to just go copy paste, right? And I and and I always I always find that the conversation comes down to first person or third person and, and i usually stump people when i say google doesn't know who i is right so like well, on my bio page on my about page i want somebody to search for jeff bradbury and pop that's the page because it's got my name on there three or four times whereas if i put i am an educator google doesn't know who i or me is so that was my philosophy but i gotta tell you i like what you said though how well, you, you know you're creating but you're so you're saying you're creating your about page for your customer, for your audience. And I guess I'm looking at it being a, a, a like my bio page is on like a resource page where I can literally just like a media yeah. page, right? Your, your media pages, Jeff is, Jeff did, Jeff was, Jeff is awesome. Copy this onto someplace else, I guess. Yeah. But I, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and uh, forewarning, don't go to my own about page and expect to see what I just described because I could kill us. Again, the social media ad is a passion project, it's a side project. I don't, it's not even a real business, really. You know, but I can give people examples if they want to know uh, of people who've written about this and they've crafted some really amazing, effective about pages. And again, I get back to this idea that you need to test and experiment. An about page, on virtually every business is the number two most trafficked page. And so you can tell who goes to there, how many people per day are going to there and what are they doing after that? And if they're not impressed, they're going back. But if you give them something to do next and they're following that, that means it's working. Do you, do you, Mike, you're going to send me a bill at the end of this podcast, but (laughs) on your menu is the about page on the left side or on the right side? On my personal one? Um, on regular. I, I've always had it on the left, but for the redesign, I put it on the right because I want you to hit the content before you, you know, I want your eyes to go across and then hit about rather than about and then you've forgotten everything else. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say as a recommendation, yeah, if, if you just have one static horizontal menu across the top of a website, then you would probably want home or your most important page to your left, and then you would want... In, to, you know, in decreasing priority, your most important destination pages, right? Whether that's your main service, your main product, a pricing page, something like that. And about, yeah, is towards the end. That was the right. I, I'm, I'm pointing to my right, but <laughs> your to your right to yeah, as yeah. as the eye would move. See, yeah. Mike, now, now you're on my good side. That was the right answer. Now the last <laughs> question on that is, and again, this is the Google question: Is it about me? Like even like on the page, right? Like I yeah. understand the menu doesn't have characters, right? Right. But is it about me? Is it about Jeff Bradbury? Because I'm thinking that's one more spot to put your keyword name. The well, the one thing that I'll tell you is that you're probably overthinking the use of your personal name because the the fact of the matter is your website's going to rank number one for your name. It just is. You use your name plenty of times, so. 
do you need to use it on the about? It just depends on how you've written it because what you want is for that headline to grab attention and then move into the next sentence and have that be a very smooth transition and so that they'll keep reading from one sentence to the next to the next. It's a lot like the Jedi texts, really. You want to make sure that you're reading through all of them in the appropriate order. Because you I'm, never know I'm who's going to set fire to the big hut at the end of the movie. Is that, <laughs> is that the idea here? And, and I know I, I'm looking over your shoulder, and I got to say, I love that poster of Bespin. Thank you. That is, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been doing this for almost 800 and some shows. I've never once run into a Bespin uh, poster back there. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the website is... This is where you come in. TheSocialMediaHat.com. Uh, you can certainly check everything out there. You can find him over on Twitter.com slash Mike underscore Alton. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Um, you are welcome on this show anytime. I would actually love to have you on a panel at some point. And maybe we can get some educators together and start talking real, real deep and dirty stuff. Um, and, and again, if you anybody out there, I will tell you next week on this show if Mike bills me and for how much it is, okay? Because there's, there's a lot of good stuff here. Mike, um, I'll give you here. Last words? Just be careful. Be careful what you do out there, kids. You know, be mindful of what you're saying on social media. Be mindful of, first of all, how it can be received and potentially hurt some other person because uh, words matter. Words are super important today more than ever. And those words don't go away. They're going to be there for a long time, whether you think it's private or not. So be careful. And even if you do delete it, Facebook still has a record that you can subpoena. Yes. Guys, I want to say this has been an excellent episode. I've certainly learned a lot. And, you know, there's certain things that we know. There's certain things we think we know, but we don't know everything. And that's why it's important to reach out, listen to podcasts, follow bloggers, see what's out there in the news. And I got to say, keep our students safe right just because it says sign in with google does not mean that their privacy is protected does not mean that it is a safe website for your class or for your classroom projects know what's getting into find a friend that's going to help you out these are all important things of course if you have any questions you can find me i'm going to try this mike one call to action go to teachercast.net slash contact and you can of course get a hold of me there or if you want you can go to twitter facebook itunes all those other things in there we are of course live every single wednesday night at eight i'm at see i'm now that i'm doing this mike i'm adding more calls to actions i need i need to get that better blogging course you need you. some accountability i right. get it i need to get some accountability here guys of course you can check us out on i'm doing it again it's just the way that this works on behalf of everybody here in the teacher cast educational network my name is jeff bradbury reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.